Um, Open up your Bibles, if you would, to Psalm 105. To Psalm 105, your new favorite psalm of all the psalms. Very short, sweet, not a lot of detail. No. If you, yeah, you're all like, I'm going to punch you. I'm, I'm sorry. Um, psalm 105, you covered that in your homework this week. And remember, that was the one that's kind of a twin psalm to Psalm 106. So we're going to go through that in just a minute. Um, but we're going to cover 105 today. We're going to talk about um, how the psalmist is trying to help us understand a call to worship. He's calling us to worship. Last week, you talked um, about Psalm 102. We covered that in here, and we talked about um, how it's broken into these sections, and essentially it's this is where I am, and in spite of it all, this is who you are, God. Um, Beautiful way to praise him, right? Because we have to go through a lot of the in spite of it alls. Amen? Anybody? Yeah, well, Psalm 105, we get a little bit more of that. Um, Psalm 105 and 106... um, Before we dive in, I want to share a couple things about it that you might not know. Um, Psalm 105, the first 15 verses of Psalm 105 also appear in 1 Chronicles chapter 16. Did you know that? Do you spend a lot of time hanging out in 1 Chronicles? Maybe some of you. Yeah, some of you do. Um, Well, they're the words of David. And so we see that that's quoted here. We we still don't know if this is necessarily David as the one who wrote it, but um, some scholars believe that he did. Um, another thing you can understand about um, Psalm 105 is that it is goes kind of goes together with 106. There's 93 verses in total, and you covered every one of them. Pat yourself on the back. You look tired. Wake up. It's okay. We're not doing all 93 tonight. We're good. Um, 93 verses. Both are historical recounts of the events that that come from the Pentateuch. Pentateuch. Do you know what that is? First five books of the Bible. Okay, first five books of the Bible. The Jewish people call that the Torah. And, and for what you can understand, when we go through all this history, and we're going to roll through it quickly, that um, essentially the things that happen in those first five books are the backbone of your Old Testament and your New Testament. Isn't that interesting? So many fascinating facts that we get through Psalm 105 and 106. Well, the tone of 105, and this is kind of why I gravitated toward it a little bit too, and you might have too in your homework is about gratitude, isn't it? He, he's, he's, he's got a heart of gratitude for what God has done. It's the only psalm explicitly that recalls the covenant promise of the patriarchs, and we'll cover that in just a minute. It's the only one. But then 106, you know, I said they're, they're sister psalms, and they both talk about all the things that happened in those first five books of the Bible. But this is what's interesting about 106. The tone of 106 is about God's patience when his people are rebelling, when they're in rebellion and they're disobedient. You see, they're talking about the same things, but it's kind of they have these two different angles. Well, we're going to look at 105, and and the way we're going to cover this thing is I really broke it into three parts. And in the first um, six verses, verses 1 through 6, we see the psalmist, David, if it's David, we see the psalmist saying, He's basically given us some directives. Like he's given us 10 directives on how to worship. And I just broke them down. I just boiled them down to three, okay? We're going we're gonna to see how the psalm tells us that we are to remember and how we're to retell and then we're to rejoice. When we look at the first six verses, I'm going to read them, but I want to read them to you in the New Living Translation. I don't know what Bible you have, but I liked the way the New Living put it. It was a little more um, conversational, and it made a little more sense to me. So just listen for a minute to the first six verses and see if you see those words, remember, retell, rejoice, kind of coming up to the top. Verse 1 starts like this. 
He says, give thanks to the Lord and proclaim his greatness. Let the whole world know what he has done. Sing to him. Yes, sing his praises. Tell everyone about his wondrous deeds. Verse 3, exalt his holy name. Rejoice, you who worship the Lord. Search for the Lord and for his strength. Continually seek him. Verse 5, remember the wonders he has performed, his miracles and the rulings he has given, your children of his servant Abraham, you descendants of Jacob, his chosen ones. Do you see those themes kind of coming to the top? Remember, retell, rejoice. That We can carry that out of here. We can do that. So we're going to look at it that way. We're going to first look at um, how the psalmist tells us to remember. If we're going to be worshiping, it's good to remember. Well, I'm not going to go through all of it. I'm not going to read all the verses because, like I said, there are a lot of them. But we are going to look at how it's broken in essentially to four sections. This section on remembering, the psalmist gets very detailed. You see, what he's trying to help us understand is, is true today, like it was then, that, that what shapes the way we see the world, the way we react to the world, the way we approach people, others, ourselves, whatever, it all kind of rests in what we remember, doesn't it? Like that really does shape us. Think about it. There's people that you've encountered or there's, there's um, experiences that you have lived through. There are places that you have been or maybe places you haven't been that you've heard about. But they shape the way you see the world, don't they? And so basically what he's saying is, which I, I love this. I love the way the psalmist puts it this way. He's kind of retelling Israel's story as poetry. He's doing this remembering thing, but here's what's fascinating. He's not telling it as their story. He's telling it as his story. Do you think of your life that way? Do you consider the fact that the story that you have, the stories that mold the way you look at the world, are really his story? You know, um, I've told you guys a lot of times before about my story. You know, I've got lots of different parts of my story that as I was going through this, preparing for this, I just kind of kept going back to this idea that these parts of my story, some are really dark and gritty and painful, that God has allowed all shape the way I see him, I see you, I see our world. And so as you go through this and we go through and you listen to these words, I want you to think about your story. What's the first thing that came to your mind when I said that? When I said, what is the part of your story that shapes the way you look at the world? Think about it as we go through this and see what the psalmist says. Well, like I said, he breaks it down into four parts. And the first part is in verses 7 through 11. And you might remember these from your homework. Um, he recounts um, what is happening. Essentially, this is, he's kind of retelling the covenant story, the covenant story. And so if you don't know what that is, I'm going to give you like the real super quick version of what that is. But the cool thing is you can jot down a couple of verses. You can jot down Genesis 12, 1 through 3. And next to that, you can write Abraham. And then jot down Genesis 26, 1 through 6. And jot down Isaac. And then Genesis 28, verses 13 through 17, that's Jacob. You see, these are the patriarchs of our faith, essentially. And what happened is, during this section that he's talking about, he's pointing out that we need to remember that God makes and keeps his promises to his people. You see, back in Genesis, first with Abraham, then with Isaac, then with Jacob, generations of folks that he continues to repeat the same promise 
He's telling them that I have given you this covenant. Now, this is what's cool. When you think about the word covenant, because that's kind of a bible word that we hear a lot, right? And, and the difference between a covenant and, say, like a contract, like if you're going to buy a house or something, you know, you're going to write a contract. And a contract is, I, I want that house, and so I'm going to pay you money, and in exchange for the money, you're going to give me the house. And so, obviously, if the contract falls through, one of us didn't do our part, Right? So a contract falls apart. The difference in that and a covenant, which I love this, a covenant says, I will commit to you that I'm going to do this. I'm going to promise this no matter what. And that's what God does. God makes a covenant with Abraham and he says, no matter what, I will keep my side of the deal. And so that's why we see over three generations and a jillion generations still coming that he continues to have to repeat this promise and continues to talk about how he will keep it even though his people kept breaking their side of the deal. Well, verses 7 through 11, that's what we see talked about. We see that he makes and keeps promises to his people when they need a promise to lean on, when they need a promise to lean on. The rest of the psalm, these other three sections, all point back to this first promise. So keep that in mind. So he goes on from verses 7 through 11, and he goes to the second thing that he wants us to remember. The second thing in verses 12 through 15 is this, that God watches over his people. He watches over his people. The exact account that he's giving us here happened in Genesis 20. If you want to go back and do a little light reading, it's, it's awesome. It's not awesome. It's actually a terrible story, to be quite honest with you. It's when Abraham and his wife Sarah, Sarah was taken by this other king, and everything was going to change at that point if, if that had allowed to go through. But instead, God steps in and in his God way, and he rescues the situation. It's interesting because you see the word sojourners here, and you see him talking about God's people that way as sojourners, meaning they're resident aliens with no citizenship rights. That's who he's talking about. Those are the people that he's watching over and he's going to essentially rescue them. So remember that he watches over his people when they were wandering. The third thing we see that, that, that our psalmist wants us to understand is in verses 16 through 23 where he takes care of his people. Do you remember this story? This is the story of Joseph. Has anybody ever studied the story of Joseph? It's awesome, man. It's rough, but it's great. And here's why. Because the story of Joseph is about God who takes care of his people, God who takes care of Jesus. And I love the idea that in verse 16, it even says, when he summoned a famine on the land and broke all the supply of bread. In other words, God takes care of his people when life seems completely impossible. Completely impossible. Joseph, he was an instrument of God's blessing even when things looked really dark. In verse 19, it even says that he was tested until the time was right, that this was a scary, hard time, and the word of God was rough to believe and follow for Joseph. There was imprisonment, and there was false accusations, and there was near death by his family. And it went on and on. And yet, and yet, all along, God had this plan. And that God was going to take care of his people, even in famine, he made a way. And so when you read the story of Joseph, you understand that he takes care of his people when life seems impossible. And the psalmist wants us to remember that. 
the fourth thing he tells us when he's talking about remembering, he goes into verses 24 through 28, and he's talking about how God delivers his people. God delivers his people. Hey, Moses keeps cropping up, doesn't he? He just keeps doing it. Exodus is where you find the story of Moses. You see, here's the thing. We're seeing this whole section here that details the plagues that God put in, into action to, to get the people released from the Egyptians who were imprisoning and enslaving them. He talks about how he brought the people out. But you know what's cool? In verses 37 through 38, I love this. He doesn't just say here that, that um, he doesn't just kind of give the quick like, oh, yeah, there was all these plagues. You know, there's like there's, there's terrible things. There's like blood in the water and frogs and, you know, locusts and all the things, hail, all the great things, wonderful things. But then he says, he finishes it with this. In verse 37 and 38, he says this, but he brought his people out with silver and gold and no one what? Do you see what they did? No one stumbled. No one stumbled. I love the idea that God delivers his people even when they are a disaster. Because we know from studying the other Psalms the last few weeks, right, that these people are the same ones that are grumbling and complaining to the Lord. They forgot. The psalmist wants us to remember that he delivers his people. I love that we get the details in verses 39 through 41 of the clouds and the fire and the quail and the manna and the provisions when it was dark, you know. And, and that's for us to remember, too, that God does deliver us, even when we don't think the story is going the way it should, right? Well, I don't know what you're thinking right now when you hear these stories. You know, I, I, I did. I boiled them down to, like, you know, just like a little sound bite here. I mean, this is, this is legit, lots of big information. But I want to I ask you this. Where in your story do you remember that this is actually his story, that your story is actually his that he keeps his promises to you. That he watches over you. That he takes care of you. That he delivers you. I, I thought through my life, I thought through my stories, um, and I thought, you know, the beauty about remembering our stories, especially the hard parts, is that, um, that there's transformation that happens, right? Do you believe that? Do you believe that there is transformation? Because I, I do believe that. You see, I, I, I've told you before about my story about how I lost my dad, you know, when I was 15. And honestly, like, I, I, when I went through this lesson, like, there was a million different stories that I thought, oh, yeah, that one. I need to remember that one. I need to remember that one. That's where he delivered me. I need to remember this one. This is where he was with me in these terrible places. This one he kept promises. This one he took, he watched over me, right? Like I thought of a million of those places and I hope you do too. But for me, you know, the, the big one is always that one. It's always, it's always how I lost my, my dad to suicide at 15. Because here's why. Because um, it doesn't matter how old I am. It still hurts, and it doesn't matter how old I get and how much time goes by. It's still difficult, um, and it doesn't matter um, how many people I tell, and it doesn't matter how many times I talk about it. It still is an impactful moment in my life that changed everything forever. Do you have those moments where one day it was this, and then the next day everything was upside down? That 
was my story. And so when I think about remembering that story, I ask this question, what transforms me? What is transformational when I remember it? Because, you know, um, a lot, a lot, I'm not going to lie, a big part of me wants to forget a lot of that. Do you have parts of your story that you just want to forget? You just want to erase, you know? Well, I would encourage you to remember there's a couple of things that I think that um, God transforms in us when we remember. And the first is this. I think that remembering transforms how we see other people. Remembering transforms how we see other people. You see, when I allowed um, God to start working in my life as a, as a messed up 15-year-old, had an upside-down life all of a sudden, I, you know, the things that started happening were things like this. It started resulting in things like this. I had a compassion for other people that I didn't have before. I had a vision where I could see somebody and look them in the eyes and go, all right, let's put everything else away and let's get real. That was not me. That was God. I had an ability to share hope and promises because I could drop away the words that don't matter because I I I was reminded that life is very, very short. I was able to to attempt to understand instead of avoiding. You know, a lot of people, when you go through this kind of um, tragedy that has a, a big stigma attached to it, you know, a lot of people want to run from that. But I, I don't run from that if I do call me on it. <laughs> what else? How else did remembering transform? Well, this is what I think. Remembering also can transform how we see ourselves how we see ourselves, remembering your story, how God has used your story can transform you. It can provide a change in direction, you know? Your story is not over. You're just in a different part of it. How will it change direction moving forward? Do I trust that God uses my story and do I let him? You know, guys, I've told you this a million times and I'm gonna preach it because you have stories that people need to hear. You have stories that you need to remember and use and let God take it and run with it. Because there have been so many times, it will happen tonight. I will finish this and someone will come up to me and say, that is my story. It happens every time, 100% of the time. I do not know what your story is, but I do know God longs to transform you and transform you in the midst of the retail. How else does remembering transform us? It transforms how we see the world. I believe that, man. It transforms how we see the world. You know, our outlook can be transformed in this way. We can develop a sensitivity to things that we never even thought about before. Anybody? Let me give you an example. If you have lost someone close to you and you've gone through sitting in the front pew at a funeral you see it differently than other people do, don't you? When you see that someone has passed, you go to funerals, don't you? People laugh at me all the time. They always say, you're a funeral junkie. I'm like, yep, I am. If there's a door open, somebody's, I'm there because I know how it feels. And so it can transform how you look at the world, how all of a sudden when you see an obituary online or, or in the paper, you don't just think of it as nothing anymore. You think of the people that are left behind, don't you? Transforms how you see the world. It's a good and a bad thing. You're way more sensitive. You can go much deeper without judgment. And you also do not fear the conversations. Amen. 
The last thing I would say about remembering and how it can transform you when you take those dark, hard stories of your life and let God take them and transform them, it can transform how you see the Lord. It can transform how you see him. Same God. He never changed. But I think, I think, I think um, depending on where you are in that story, it is okay if sometimes you're real mad at him and and all of a sudden you're kind of done with him for a while. Because I think, I do believe this about our God. I believe that he knows our hearts and he loves you no matter what, whether you're talking to him or not. And and I'll tell you what, you know, when you're walking these paths of these hard things, you know, I mean, let's not lie. I mean, wandering around in the desert for 40 years and eating, you know, bread dropping from heaven, that's tough stuff. It It was a rough circumstance, right? But God loved them in spite of it. And God remained himself and God kept his covenant and he loved them. And I think he does that with us. And so I think about that. It develops this reverence if we let it. If we let it. It develops a reverence because... um, I think that faith is remembering. And so you can trust in the evidence of who he is because you remember back who he was when you were on the floor and wrecked. In the now, you know, you can remember him now. Trust him. He's the same God that met you there. Depend on his purpose. Don't depend on yours. And it helps us be able to thank him in the midst of struggle, I think. I think. Well... The miracle is not necessarily in the remembering, but the miracle that happens is when we remember and let it transform our lives, right? We can remember and we can hang out and camp out in the hard places or the good places or whatever, but if we don't let God transform it, then all we're doing is is just um, feeling bad about the history. Well, what happens when we don't? What happens when we don't remember? Remember Psalm 106? Yeah, you're like, no, I kind of want to choose to forget that. Well, I'm with you. I get it. But I will tell you this. I will encourage you to remember this thing about 106. Is that we see the story of God's people and how they did forget. And they chose not to remember. And if you'll remember, there was this laundry list of really yucky, dark things. Like... um, that they rebelled and then they forgot and they gave in to their cravings and they put God to the test and they were envious and they worshiped idols and they forgot who God was and they forgot that he saved them. It goes on. I mean, it goes on and on. They were despised when they got the land. They didn't believe in God's promises. They grumbled. They didn't obey. They shed innocent blood. Did you read that? It's tough to read. They defiled themselves. You know, see, for, for them, all this not remembering led to all these things that they did. And I immediately thought, we do the same thing. That's not easy to say, but we do. You know, we sacrifice things that matter to God for things that really don't have any eternal value, don't we? When we choose not to remember that God was in control of that story, we worship at the footstool of idols, don't we? We choose things that don't matter. We compromise ourselves. We forget what he's done. We give in to cravings. We rebel against him. We turn away from him at any chance we get because we don't want to face him. So we're really no different. In verse um, 44 of, of Psalm 106, it goes like this. It says, Nevertheless, he, God, 
looked upon their distress when he heard their cry and he remembered their covenant and relented. You know what's cool about this story is that all these dark, terrible things that, that, that God's people did when they chose not to remember, that God still did what? He still kept his covenant. He still remembered and he relented. He knows that a lot of times we ease into a Psalm 106 kind of place, I think, you know, guys. But here's the thing. I don't want to get to the nevertheless, do you? No, I don't want to be there. I want to stay safely in the remembering the ways that he chooses to transform my life in the midst of my history. Because if I get hung up and stay in in the mad places and the why, you want to talk about a why? Tell a 15-year-old kid why their dad killed himself. There's no why that's good enough. But we instead can choose to remember how he wants to transform us in the midst of that story. It's, it, it's a real thing and it really happens. Well, the psalmist knows. He knows that if we remember, there's more to it. See, there's not just the remembering, but there's also the retelling. If you'll remember in verses 1 and 2 at the very beginning of Psalm 105, he says to make known. Verse 2, he says, tell of all of his wondrous works. I want to do that. I want to live that. Retell. There's a next step. It's easier to not retell, isn't it? Is it easier? It's easier in this day and age. It's easier for me, you know, it would be much easier for me to not share the dirty details of my life. Um, And I have a microphone on, so that's messed up. But you feel the same way, don't you? Like, it's easier sometimes. When you meet somebody, it's like you don't really want to peel back the onion. You know, you make a new friend, and you're like, I really don't want them to know all the deep, dark parts of me. But, but, there is beauty in the retail, and here's why. That retelling can actually bring healing. It can. You know, um, I have a friend who... um, endured maybe, maybe the worst crime that you could imagine as a woman, okay? Um, and you know what? I, we're, we're many years past that horrible thing. And, um, and, and I've, I've, I've looked her in the face and I've asked her, how? How are you living? How do you do this? Because it was, it was, it was rough. And, it was, and she said, you know how I got through it? I had to retell it. And she goes, I didn't want to retell it. I mean, trust me, like when she went to therapy initially, that was number one. The first thing she had to do was retell it. And the therapist said to her, no, I don't mean just retell it. I mean retell every detail. And she said, you know, looking back now, I can't believe I did it. But every week I'd go back and we'd retell it over and over. And there was something about the retelling that causes the healing to happen. Something about it. I'm not saying you don't need to know every detail of of my story, just like I don't need to hear every detail of yours. And that's one thing I think we do well at this place is is God knows the details, right? But there's healing in the retail. The other thing that retelling can do is it can shine the light on something that that when it's in the dark, it becomes becomes powerful. You know... um, I heard recently, and it really stuck with me, is that the devil really likes to get us alone and keep us in the dark, right? Because that's where he can whisper in our ear, and there's no one saying that's not true. 
And so if we can tell our story, retell our story, do you know how much, how much of a gift it is to me to be able to retell my story? It took a really long time, a lot of years. But now if I meet someone who's suffering from the same thing, I'm telling you guys, it is like God going, I'm giving you a little bit of the why. That was just a little bit of it. And it, it, it almost feels kind of worth it. And so bringing things to the light can shine light and bring truth and put power on truth, not power in the darkness. Another thing that retelling can do um, is it can make him known. I want to make him known. I don't ever want you, I want, I want you all to know you're all invited to my funeral. If I pass on to my reward before you do, you're all invited. And Hannah's going to sing. There's a lot of things we got to talk about before. But I want you to stand up and say that she made him known. Not me, not me, I'm, not, I'm nothing special. I want you to say, she made Jesus known. You know, um, wise friend of mine a few years ago, when we first did the Psalm study here at this church, one of the things that we did was we had people come up and share their stories. And it was really neat. And we prayed a lot over doing it again this time. And you know, that'll come back at some point. But I want you to know something. When we were developing that idea, um, we would have, have these amazing ladies come up and share um, their remembrances, and they were retelling. And, but one of the greatest pieces of advice that I ever heard was, when you're going to retell, you always ask yourself, who am I glorifying? And, and, and it was, you know, a lot of times it's unintentional, I think. Sometimes we, we unintentionally glorify us, bring glory to ourselves. But I'll tell you what, there's no more powerful testimony and no more powerful way to point to Jesus and share about Jesus than to tell your story and say all the glory goes to him. Are you glorifying yourself or are you glorifying him? Ask yourself that question. You know, I, um, I wrote a sticky note one time and I stuck it on my side of my fridge and it, it's been there for years and it's still there. Who are you choosing to glorify? Who are you making known? Because I don't ever, ever, ever want to forget, right? Make him known. The third thing, um, excuse me, the fourth thing I would say about retelling. Retelling can do this. It can help us follow Jesus' example, Jesus, when you look at the ministry of Jesus Christ, the Son of God who came to earth to live, he does a lot of this. You know what he does? He does a lot of this. Hey, tell me all about you. I want to hear all about your story. Now I want to tell you about how to think differently. I just want to tell you about a, a different way to think. You know, I love that about his ministry. There's not a lot of threats and there's not a lot of focusing on our failures and not a lot of finger pointing. There's a lot of love. And I feel like um, if we allow our stories to, to be his story and for him to breathe the truth into that, I think we can become like Jesus in that way. I do believe that. Um, it helps us follow his example. Listen, your story is his story. Um, will you let him use it? Will you let him use it to teach the world to think differently about life? The last thing um, that we're going to hit before we close is um, the way the psalmist ends this psalm. And I hope that this verse didn't slip past you. He ends it this way in um, Psalm 105, verse 45. I'm going to read it in the New Living because I, I just kind of thought I like this better. All this happened so they would follow his decrees and obey his instructions. And it ends with three words. Praise the Lord. Think about this for just a minute. All this happened so you would what? What? You know, all this that he's talking about, he's pointing back and saying, 
Do not doubt for one minute that God had purpose in every bit of those dark places that we just covered. All that ground we covered in 44 verses. All this happened so they would follow his decrees and obey his instruction. I don't know what this means for you, but I would challenge you to write on your paper, all this happened so Chris would Rejoicing reminds us that his faithfulness is not dependent on those 45 verses. Amen. That we can praise him no matter what and understand and believe that he has purpose in every single bit of it. Listen, in closing, um, I, I want to I tell you something. And um, I want you to know, God never, ever, 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 ever asks you to do things he's not willing to do himself. Never. We don't see that in the Bible. We don't see that God commands things that we aren't going to see him do too. And so I would tell you this, that God remembers in verse, in, um, excuse me, in Psalm 105, verse 8, it says he remembers his covenant forever. That word that he commanded for a thousand generations, you see, he is a promise keeper and he remembers. He retells. You know, when Jesus came to earth, he's the son of God. He is the Lord. And this is what's amazing. He built his entire ministry on the foundation of God's word. Do you realize this? He quoted it over and over and over in God's word. In Matthew 4, he quotes it talking about temptation. In Matthew 5, he talks about it when he's teaching. In Matthew 26, in sorrow. In Matthew 27, in pain. In Matthew, excuse me, in John 17, he's, he's talking about God's word in prayer. He refers back to the Old Testament in prayer. In Luke 24, he talks about in discipleship. It's over and over and over. He retells, so should we. And the last thing I want to say um, is that he rejoices. And in Zephaniah 3.17, you may have heard this verse before, and I'm going to hope to give you a little different feel of it today, but I hope you hear this. He rejoices over you, over us. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. You are beautiful to him. Your story is redeemable, and it has his fingerprints all over it, and, and all you have to do is keep your eyes on him. He keeps his promises to you. He watches over you. He takes care of you. He delivers you. Y'all pray with me. Father, um, I pray that everyone in this room can keep their eyes on you and that we can remember that the stories that we have are your stories. God, we give them to you. We, we, we want to lay them at your feet. We, we are done hiding behind shame. We are done um, running from, from, from the stuff that we've had to walk through, God, because we trust you. And Um, Will you take those stories and show us where you want them to be retold? And through it all, will you show us how to rejoice in the midst of them, in the midst of the remembering, in the midst of walking through them? And and Lord, we, we praise you and thank you that you love us enough that you rejoice over us and that you see where we are and you see where we've been, but you know who we're becoming Take us there, Father. We thank you so much um, that you love us enough to send your son. In Jesus' name, amen.